0: If you create content and then don't distribute it, it's like you wrote out invitations to a party and then didn't send them. So like don't be surprised that no one shows up. Like you didn't you didn't send it to them, you know? How do I want to be perceived? Who am I trying to reach? What kind of value do I want to provide them? And what's the best way for me to do that?
1: Welcome to Top of Mind. A show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. Like most things in business, if you focus all your effort on designing a strategy, but never actually put in the work to execute that strategy, you're not gonna go anywhere. On the flip side though, if you have no strategy and all your effort is executing, then your effort won't be focused enough to drive any meaningful change. It's a fine balance and one that's especially important to consider in content marketing. My guest today is gonna help us to understand how much strategy is the right amount and then how to create content that your audience actually wants to see. She's the director of content at Foundation Marketing and the author of the Content Fuel Framework. I'm pleased to welcome Melanie Diesel to Top of Mind. Welcome to the show, Melanie.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat.
1: So, looking through your bio, uh, I saw that you were the first editor of branded content at the New York Times. And a number of your pieces won advertising awards, including the best native advertising execution. Can you help me define what branded content is and what were some of the pieces that you would have worked on?
0: Yeah, for sure. So this was a, a fully new department at the New York Times. Essentially what branded content was for us was having brands, you know, companies, advertisers, you might call them, come to us and ask us for help creating content that would appeal to our audience. So the idea being they could buy squares and rectangles and see how standard ads work, right? Or they could say, look, we know your audience likes content, Help us make something that they would be interested in. You know, in my background as a journalist, I was always pushing to try to make those things as valuable and as editorial, you know, as journalistic as possible. So when I think of like what my favorite pieces are that we worked on, they're always the ones where the brand let us run with that. They weren't sort of pushing too hard to overly brand the piece or, you know... Basically, they weren't trying to make us go against that instinct. They were letting us follow the story where it took us. And so I look at, there's a piece we did for, for Netflix for Orange is the New Black, which was all about what the experience is like of being a woman in prison. So. Not talking about the plot line, the characters, the show of Orange is the New Black, but talking to real women who were in the prison system and kind of discussing that in a very real way, which obviously attracted the same kind of people who might be interested in watching the show, just sort of naturally. Another one that I really loved, I, we worked with the New York City Ballet. The The client in that case was Cole Hahn. They were doing a new ballet-inspired shoe, not a shoe for ballerinas, but for us, us mortals you know, who walk upon <laughs> the ground. Um, and so we we worked with the ballet and we talked about, I got to like shadow them for a good amount of time and write a piece about what they go through physically, like how everything they do looks so effortless, but there's actually so, so much work and practice and fine tuning and physical pain that goes into looking that graceful, making it look easy. So in those cases, both cases, I was writing about something I had didn't have much background in. I got to really dive in and learn. And so I was creating something that I was proud of that, you know, I felt like I stood for my, my ground for the journalistic background and, and created something our audience would really like.
1: Well, that's super cool that that was the first kind of iteration that the New York Times did being such a journalistic heavy company that they would finally introduce this idea of, of doing a collaborative piece of content with a company who had something to sell. But at the same time, you're not New York times where I had to be very careful not to hurt their brand by becoming like so blatantly promotional.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. So just for clarity's sake, our team was completely separate from anyone in the news departments. We were literally on separate floors, we had separate elevators, like there was no mingling <laughs> between the editorial content you got from our, you know, our amazing reporting staff and the sponsored content that we made. Everything we did was very clearly labeled in multiple different ways. Like we went so far as to change the image that appears in your like tab on your browser. Like we went to every length possible to make sure it was clear that uh, this was not being created by our news teams. But yeah, it, it, a big part of maintaining that reputation was was standing that ground and saying, this is what our audience expects. They expect high quality, they expect sources, they expect data. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can't go throw any old listicle at them, you know, 10 things you didn't know about prison, like is not going to fly with the New York Times audience. You could take that to BuzzFeed.
1: In the like the kind of the industry term, maybe you can correct me, is native advertising is is that any different than content marketing or is there any differentiator or nuance there that you you see
0: yeah so you know you'll see these terms used interchangeably along with sponsored content and and you know Branded content, brand publishing, like we have a lot of fancy names for what is essentially the same general principle. Native advertising as a broad category refers to any kind of advertising that's adapted to fit its environment. So like I said before, we're not just slapping squares and rectangles on things, which is typically what we do. Like ads go over here and what you actually want goes over here. Native ads are adapted to fit into the stuff you actually want to see instead of being a square rectangle that's kind of getting in the way of that. So that could refer to you know, sponsored tweets in your feed. That's a native ad in some ways because it's showing up as a tweet and not as you know a banner in between. So native at the New York Times means we're gonna to create top quality content because that's what our audience expects from us. Um, Native advertising as a tactic for a brand is one of many different types of content marketing they may do. You know, they may be also creating content on their website, content for YouTube, they may have, you know, influencer partnerships creating content and they may also then work with a publisher like the New York Times, like HuffPost, BuzzFeed, Washington Post, whoever, to create, you know, collaborative content that's designed to appeal to their audience.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and this is what I'm seeing now is like content is becoming so wide and mature that a lot of these words used to be very defined. And now it's all <laughs> just a glob of like content somewhere is, and, and yeah. I think we need better words pretty soon.
0: I feel like that always happens in in marketing, especially, you know, even if you think back to like the early days of social media, you know, we called tweets like micro blogging because blog was the only term we knew up to that point of publishing on the internet, right? So we became micro blogging and now it's just a social post. It's just a post. It's just a tweet, you know, there's replies, but there's also comments and then there's favorites and likes and upvotes. Like we, we just love to kind of riff on all these terms and just make it really difficult for people to understand what the heck we're saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd like to move this conversation into the strategy side of things. And then at the end, we'll then talk about execution, about how like some nuances in, on these channels. But for strategy, I think it can be really easy for people to get confused and just consider content strategy being like, I want to be on these channels. I'm simply choosing the channels and the target audience they're going after and then deciding a theme and being like, cool, that's it. I think I got enough done. Let's start executing what are some of the most common mistakes you see people making when they're designing their content strategy?
0: I mean there's there's a couple of really common things that we all fall into just because they might be most natural for us. One thing that we see a lot of times is a brand deciding or or even your personal brand, right? You decide that you're going to be in a certain place or on a certain platform because you like it and you haven't necessarily considered whether your audience likes that. So, I'll give an example right now we're doing a podcast, right? So long as your audience loves podcasts and listens to podcasts, this is a wonderful idea. However, if I were to come in and help you with your strategy and discover that your audience spends all their time on YouTube, I might tell you, like, you should be making a YouTube series instead of just an audio podcast, right? So that's a consideration that's really important is make sure your strategy is designed around reaching your audience and not just doing things that you personally enjoy. I think that's a... I don't want to call it a rookie mistake because oftentimes the people who are tasked with creating a content strategy, like they haven't been trained. This is something that's been like heaped upon them in addition to, you know, to other responsibilities, but that sometimes we just sort of follow our gut without really digging in to see if our audience, you know, is hanging out somewhere else than we may be.
1: Mm. Any tips for finding where people are spending their time?
0: I know this is like the most boring advice, but it really is the best, the best, I think, which is like, just talk to your audience. Like whether, whether that's in person, you know, in your shop or it's like, you know, in a focus group or online in your DMs, like ask them, where do you get your news on this topic? Where do you learn more about this topic? Who do you trust? Who do you listen to? Who do you watch? Who do you follow? Right? Like, Ask them those things and they'll tell you where they're getting their information. And if you have enough of those conversations, a trend will emerge. You know, what you what you don't want to do is ask a leading question that people feel bad answering. So like, would you listen to our podcast if we made one? Like, no one's going to say no. They don't want to be mean. But ask them, you know, hey, do you listen to podcasts? Are there any good podcasts that you'd recommend? That way you're going to get an honest answer about whether they like podcasts and have any to recommend. You'll get good information, you know? So try not to ask a leading question where they know the answer you want. They shouldn't know the answer you want. That's the key.
1: And so just to to confirm, is this people who are already following you, you reach out and ask them what other content they consume? Or is this like point blank, you're just trying to say you're selling to... Coffee shop owners. Do you just go sure. to uh, the coffee shops in your city and start asking people? I mean, that's a very, uh, that's an easier example than if you're selling <laughs> a B2B SaaS thing and you're trying sure. to get it to very specific sure. people at organizations.
0: Yeah, well, at Foundation, we actually primarily serve B2B and SaaS tech companies. And so we do, we call them customer interviews. We do it all the time. We either will, you can talk to your current customers, especially if they are the type of people you want more customers like, right? Right. So not your outlier customers, your exceptional ones, but this is a pretty typical customer and we'd love to have more people like this, more audience member, you know have that conversation with them in whatever way is natural to access them. But yeah, I mean, small talk is another good way to do that. You know, if you're going to a networking event for the type of people you want to reach and attract, you know, just have that conversation there. Hey, you listen to any good podcasts on this, you know, on this topic? Anything I should check out? You can kind of start to get that yeah. information just casually, right? And yeah. if you are lucky enough to be pitching to to coffee shop owners, then definitely I think you need to do a little coffee shop tour and go talk to uh, you know managers, owners, workers, whoever you can get a hold of and and see, you know, where do they consume content? What kind of content do they like? Uh, you know, what are they doing in downtime? What apps are on their are on their phone? You know, just see yeah. see how they generally interact with media and then try to reverse engineer and fit yourself into that that habit they've already built.
1: Awesome. So you've got target audience at the top, then you've got the channel you choose to reach them through based on these interviews. Mm-hmm. What what comes next or what else needs to be considered to have a, a holistic strategy if you're just kind of like getting going and like a kind of yeah. a bare bone strategy?
0: So the same way that you can accidentally pick platforms that are interesting to you and maybe not to your audience or not something that they you know connect with you could do the same thing with your content topics so as you're thinking about when i am speaking to these people in this place what am i saying you know so that's that's really the next consideration is to think What is it that I can deliver that's of value to them there? And so this is really informed by a lot of the stuff we already talked about. You know, if you're hearing from your audience or seeing based on their, you know, online activity that they're engaging with, you know, primarily interview type content, you know, they want to hear from industry experts. Well, that's a good cue. Maybe you need to find some industry experts or do an interview show as well. It may also be that you can zag and go totally the other way while everyone's zigging and stand out very easily. So you want to kind of see what sort of content is resonating with them what sort of content are they engaging with and that can really inform some of the things that that you know you want you want to talk about you can speak to their pain points if you have any sort of product or customer research that tells you these are the things our customers care about these are the things our clients are trying to address that's a really good source of information the other thing you can do, again, to get it straight from the horse's mouth, whoever on your team is talking directly to clients, so whether that's your sales team, your customer service team, you know, your in-store associates, they are going to be the best at telling you, here's the questions I get asked all the time, right? That's information your audience wants. But here are the misconceptions I have to correct all the mm-hmm. time. Here are the competitors that people mention so that we should you know, create some content about how we stack up. So... Talk to the people who are front lines, even if you can't, you know, address them yourselves and figure out, okay, what is the information my audience actually wants? Of course, on the more technical side, and we do a lot of this at Foundation, you know, we're doing deep keyword research and trying to figure out based on, you know, search intent and things like that. You don't have to get all that fancy if that's not, you know, in your scope at the moment. But, you know, we, we like to supplement those kinds of, you know, interpersonal interactions with, with some data that we can back it up if possible.
1: Yeah, no that's smart. And it can go down a rabbit hole very quickly where it's where the <laughs> 80% of your answers are going to probably come from talking to your direct line with your communicate with your customers. Yeah. But that data helps when you are pouring money into like an SEO strategy and you really need it to. Work. Sure.
0: Well, the other thing you could do is, is flip it on its head, do the keyword research, and then use that to inform the questions you ask your audience as you're talking to them in these kind of focus groups, right? Confirm that they are the people you're seeing those data points from, because I don't know, maybe they're different in some, some way, you know? Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How often should this strategy be reviewed or, or what's the timeline, at the horizon when designing it to say, okay, we will revisit this in the future?
0: I think that is going to be a little bit different for every business, depending on, on a couple different factors. I mean, I think you should definitely not be leaving something like this in place for multiple years without ever looking at it, just to get that out of the way. But I also think if you're changing something like this, more than once or twice a year like you're going to get to a situation where you're not making progress on anything it takes time to to build those results that being said you know if i tell you that you should do it once a year and that year happens to be 2020 that involves a pandemic and a lockdown like that's that's being blind to the reality right your situation has changed and so your st- your strategy likely needs to change right? right so i think it's it's kind of a combination of Being aware of when that strategy no longer serves you, that is the time to really revisit it and see what adjustments need to be made. So some other examples, if you're going all in on TikTok and then all of a sudden TikTok's not cool anymore, they got dropped from the app store, who knows what happened, right? It's time to revisit your strategy because it's no longer serving you. You launch a new product and that changes who your audience is or you change up your pricing strategy and now you're going from one-off to subscription. Like Those kinds of big changes, it's a good sign that you know if my business goals and activities have changed, I should probably probably, you know, change the corresponding the strategy and tactics that I'm using, uh, to make sure I'm still aligned with those goals.
1: Just to make it, make it tangible. If you were to lose your audience today and needed to start from scratch, knowing everything, you know, now you still have all yeah. your, all your knowledge, but you don't have the contacts or resource or kind of momentum. Yeah. What, w- what would your strategy look like from like a, from a personal standpoint, not from a business profile, but from a personal, um, yeah profile if people are looking to grow their personal uh, reach.
0: I think if you're if you're thinking about personal reach, there's a couple things again that you want to consider, and some of it is very similar to what we talked about for a business. You know, if you're trying to grow an audience, presumably that's why you're thinking about like what should I do on social. You know, you want to think about that same question: where where are the people that I want to talk to? Because that's where you want to be. Um, you also want to think about do those people. You know, if you're a fashion influencer, for example, you're trying to build a fashion or a beauty reputation. Well, you want to be on a visual platform. Twitter is probably not the best place for you. You want to be on a place like YouTube or. Instagram, where your images can shine because it's a very visual uh, thing that you're trying to be an expert in. Um, By contrast, if you're talking, you know, you want to be known as an expert in cryptocurrency or cloud computing or something that doesn't tend to have very compelling visuals, then maybe someplace like LinkedIn or Twitter or Reddit where you can rely heavily on text and your expertise is a better fit. So thinking about, you know, where are the people that I want to reach and what's the best way for me to reach them there. The other thing is, I think it's just really helpful to have really clear goals. I think it almost sounds strange as a personal brand to have like, these are my brand goals. This is how I want to be perceived. This is my brand tone. But if you're not clear on those things, it's not going to come across to your audience. And if you think of all the people that you most enjoy following or subscribing to or whatever the case may be, it's because you know what you're going to get from them and you like it. So you need to know what you're going to give to your audience and that they're going to like it. And so I always encourage people, as silly as it may sound, like get explicit about why am I doing this? How do I want to be known? What is my goal? Because followers in and of itself is not necessarily going to get you anything. Is it followers to achieve fame? Is it followers to achieve you know being rich is it followers to achieve networking with cool people right like what's your what's your real goal i think that will inform a lot of the activities you move forward with um and then just like quick tactical stuff we're all people we're humans we have things to do so i always recommend people take advantage of whatever tools they can to to make things easier so that might mean that you use a scheduling tool if something like that is available to you it might mean that you you know use tools that can help you reach people who can make your content maybe go on Fiverr and have people make graphics for you maybe you have editing tools that make editing your audio or your video much easier like take advantage of things that make it easier and batch content it is so much easier to sit down and write a couple blog posts in one sitting than to try to sneak those blog posts or that podcast in you know in in bits and pieces throughout the week like imagine the scenario where we have this conversation but we just record one question each day at completely <laughs> random times of day, like the quality won't be there, right? Because you have to code switch and like switch the, the brain mode that you're in based on on the day on your schedule. So the, yeah, the best thing for you to do would be to, to batch it and try to do as much when you're in that creative mindset together so that you can go be your awesome self that everyone you know wants to, wants to get in touch with and let the content kind of keep going for you in the meantime.
1: I'm glad you touched on the point of having a goal of what you're trying to do with an audience because having an audience for the sake of having an audience doesn't mean anything. It doesn't give you anything uh, (laughs) unless you have a clear intention of what you're trying to do. And so, and they can be, you can go through different iterations of what your current goal is. And so if you have zero audience, like I did a year ago you, the the intention was like, okay, I'm just going to do this to meet interesting people and learn about a topic. And then quickly it was like, okay, now I'm going to do it to leverage and get a different job. And that's a perfectly all right goal to have. And then once you kind of reach those things, then you can start spurring it out and reach that kind of capacity where you have enough people that you can start considering monetization, but you're not going to be able to yeah. do that right away. And frankly, it doesn't always need to be a monetized community.
0: Yeah. Well, and I even love that you know, you pointed out shifting to get a new job or, or whatever. That's exactly what we were talking about with the on the business side of things, right? When your overall approach, your goals change, it's time to change your strategy. And the same thing is true on a personal level. You know, I know a lot of people who, you know, they expand their family and suddenly they have to really think, well, do I want my kids to be to have their faces shown? Do I want to be talking about my personal life and my family? Like that's a big change. And you need to think about how that might impact what you do. You know, maybe you move to a new location and you used to be a beach influencer somehow for <laughs> something. And now you're not in on the beach Anymore, like how does that change what you talk about? So look for those big moments, like those big life changes or big business changes. Like, that's a really good time to step back and ask those key questions again. You know, how do I want to be perceived? Who am I trying to reach? What kind of value do I want to provide them? And what's the best way for me to do that?
1: Perfect. Well said. Let's let's move into execution a bit because we kind of started bleeding over into the execution (laughs) of how to do it. But you had a really great post from earlier today, I think it was. That was kind of helping as a great framework to help someone who is at that execution phase where they're just doing it and trying out a lot of things. Because as we kind of mentioned, you're going to need to experiment. You're going to need to try stuff out, see what feels good for you. And also it gets you closer to your goal. Those are those two things need to happen. If you feel like crap as you're doing this, it's not a great (laughs) sign. It's not a very sustainable thing because you're going to need to do this for years. So I, I think the best way for me to do this would be to read out the hierarchy of seven questions you need to ask about, of your content to see why it's not performing the way you want it to perform. And then I'll come back and ask a couple specifics about a few of them. Does that sound good? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. So here's the list. I'll just read them all out. So number one, the first thing to look for is quality. Is what you're making low quality, like it has typos or is poorly formatted. Number two is the topic. Is the topic what your audience wants to see? Number three is branding. Is your content too promotional? Number four is distribution amount. Has your content been distributed enough? Number five is the distribution targeting. So are you distributing it to the right people? Then six is positioning. So are you catching the eyes of the right people? And then number seven is expectations. So are you expecting results too soon for what you're doing? So there's a seven there and Melanie posts really great frameworks like this on Twitter. So definitely go check out her uh, her Twitter. We'll uh, link to that so you can find it. But I kind of want to ask specifically why you put quality as the first barrier to figure (laughs) out uh, if your content's not doing great.
0: I think that, you know, I could have gone in any order. It was, I guess it was somewhat intentional. Quality, I, I like to get out of the way first. And I say that because sometimes we don't create content for the purpose of quality. And I, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that as a creator, but the reality is sometimes we're just trying to get stuff done, right? And that's true. I mean, not every email you write is worthy of a Pulitzer. Like sometimes you're just trying to respond, right? So acknowledging that, you know, part of the problem may be that you're looking for quality-based results from a, a quantity you know activity so you know if you're if you're not putting in the effort to make it super high quality then you you know you shouldn't expect it to have those kinds of results and sometimes that's okay sometimes that's what you need but this is like that reminder to say Am I expecting more of this than I'm putting in? And so, you know, if I didn't proofread it, I shouldn't be surprised that it's full of typos and no one wants to read it. Or, you know, I didn't take the time to check that my audio was working correctly. And so people can't hear me. Well, why would they listen to a podcast if they couldn't hear us speaking at all? You know, so it's just that reminder to say, you know, are you putting the effort into creating something worthy of being consumed? And I think that is it's just important to get that out of the way first because if if the answer is no, then everything else you try to optimize won't make a difference.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there any signals you look for? that? Because it's not very obvious. Like, I mean- Sure. The one that comes to my mind first is like, if you're putting, let's just use Twitter as an example. Mm-hmm. If you're posting on Twitter and you're getting very, like no engagement, no likes on it, yeah. I mean is that a is that a signal that your content's not good or is that a signal that you have very low follower count and it's it's very hard to to get follows like I'm just wondering yeah. if there's any signals that you kind of go to as trustworthy
0: so I think that's that's also why there's multiple causes, right? Like I don't want to say everyone whose content is not performing is because it's bad. There are so many talented people who just haven't had you know, the en- enough distribution, right? To be able to reach the right folks. So they're not getting in right. front of the right people. So I don't think it's so much as an order of operations as like these are possible contributing factors. What I would say is if... If you know that some of the other things are aligned, if you know that this is not too heavily branded, and this is a topic my audience cares about, you know, if you could say yes to a bunch of the other things, and this is your only open question, then it's possible that that's a cause, right? But they do, they, they affect one another heavily. And that's, that's kind of why I was trying to say, like, here are some of the things you could look for, you know?
1: Okay, that was my mistake. I thought it was very <laughs> logical, but I agree with you that quality should be the first one you look for. And and being yeah. an early stage creator if you're just getting going, like trying to improve the quality of your work beyond as well as maintaining a cadence that you can, can sustainably keep. I think that's mm-hmm. the best the best advice I ever got and I will continue to give is like for your first 6 months, just try and get keep it to the cadence yeah. that you're able to handle given your life situation and yeah. just try and make the quality way better over those months.
0: Yeah, well, and I think, you know, a lot of the, you can certainly find signals that the quality is not good. I mean, sometimes if you just look at something with fresh eyes, you know, read something you haven't read of yours in a while, you're like, oh, this is kind of this is not great, you know. This doesn't have a great flow, or you know, you could always get other people to give you feedback. You know, have someone right. like an editor or a colleague, someone you respect, take a look at it, uh, run it through a tool that you know analyzes these kinds of things. There are some of those out there. Another good indication is if you look at the data. And so, let's say you put out a tweet that was your example, and you look at the data, and that tweet got you know seven thousand impressions. So seven thousand people saw it, right? Or it was seen seven thousand times, and it didn't get a single favorite. What are the chances, which is more likely that 7,000 of the wrong people saw it or that 7,000 people saw it and didn't care about it, right? Like that, it's, it's kind of tough to have an exact formula, but when you look at your data and you're not getting the response from the people you expect, it's a pretty good chance that it, you know, either, again, maybe some of those other things are off and it needed to be shared more at a different time, but it's, it's always possible quality is a contributor.
1: Moving on to topic. Do you have any exercises we've talked about talking to your ideal customers or talking to your ideal audience and understanding what they, what they're interested in, but are there any specific exercises or questions you like to ask to make sure that you're hitting the right topics?
0: Yeah, so we talked a little bit about this before with the customer interviews. By finding out the things that your audience is interested in, it's a, a really good place to start. That's going to give you clues about the things that are valuable to them, the pain points that they have, the kind of things they're they're looking to learn more about. You know, at the at the risk of being that guy, uh, that's that's kind of what I wrote my book about, right? The Content Field Framework is all about how to come up with content ideas, and the the framework there, without going into into Down a total wormhole is, is thinking about the different perspectives you could take on any type of story or topic. So if you know, you want to talk about whatever, what did we say before? The beach or cloud computing or something, then saying, okay, can I look at this through the lens of people? Who are the people that are involved in this story? Can I look at it through history? What's the history of this topic? Can I look at it through data? What's the data related to this topic? You know, so being able to, to kind of run through those different perspectives and see which one might work in that particular scenario.
1: And then you can also find a cheat sheet with a lot of these frameworks that Melanie's talking about on her website, storyfuel.co. If you go to the store, there's a whole bunch of printable, downloadable cheat sheets that you can get for free that shows like hundreds and hundreds of ways that you can come up with topics and never run out of that content fuel, which I love the name of it, by the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You You have to do a play on fuel with a last name like diesel, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I didn't even catch that. (laughs) Oh, that's even better. It's a three, three layer detail. Yeah,
0: triple.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Distribution is next what that I really want to get into because Mm -hmm. I've had Ross Simmons on the show over a year ago, crazy enough. He was one of the first ones to come on. And he was he's the the distribution king. That's kind of his shtick is great. You made content. Awesome. But unless it gets in front of your target audience, you're not going to achieve those goals that we talked about. And so you've, you've joined him joined forces now. So you've got the fuel and the distribution, which is both two sides of the same equation. I'd love to hear kind of like what maybe, maybe make it tactical and and explain what maybe your personal distribution framework looks like.
0: Yeah. So the, the, analogy that I make all the time is and I think I actually probably tweeted this at some point I'm sure I have is that you know if you create content and then don't distribute it it's like you wrote out invitations to a party and then didn't send them so like <laughs> don't be surprised that no one shows up like you didn't you didn't send it to them you know so I think my my personal strategy is probably not one that I would necessarily recommend everybody follow but what works for me is I know that my audience is most active on Twitter I know that that's where I tend to get the greatest engagement and it's also where the people I'm connected with are most tightly related to what I do, meaning there are other folks in marketing, other content create, you know, people in media, and that's that's my ideal audience, right? I do have folks on Instagram, but some of them are just there because, like, you know, my cat is cute or something. Who knows, right? So I, I focus a lot of my energy and my attention on Twitter. Lately, I've been putting more effort into trying to create threads like the the one that you found related to you know why your content may not be working. In my mind, it's almost like you know, there was blogging and then we broke it into pieces of micro blogging on Twitter. And now I'm I'm stacking them back together. So it's yeah. almost more like a blog. Right. But a, a big part of that being my approach is I'm a writer by trade. Like that's where I'm comfortable. I like working with words. So it's actually fun for me to sit through and, and try to create a, a really cool thread that that's an area where I'm comfortable and I, and I feel confident. So, you know, that's, that's a strategy. That's, a big part of my distribution involves relying heavily on Twitter. I do share things on LinkedIn. I don't actually have an email list, so please do as I as I say not as I do. But you know, it's it's I think it's Important for me to acknowledge that I'm not I'm not using all the best practices because I am, uh, but a mere mortal and uh, I have a toddler and I have a job and so you know m- making my own uh, email newsletter hasn't been a, hasn't been a top priority you know establishing my TikTok audience hasn't hasn't reached the top of the list yet so I'm sure uh, that that'll be the case for some of you who are listening too and that's why I think getting clear on who you want to reach and where you go is important because i know that the effort i am putting in on twitter is the effort that's leading to good results for me
1: i'm really happy that you you said that because it can feel like there's so many things you need to get done and if you're by yourself doing this and you have no momentum it's such a massive mountain to climb and i think the takeaway here is like just one thing at a time like just get start just get started by doing the, the least amount of work necessary to then get your foot in the door and started towards that yep. goal. And then you can layer on new stuff and and you'll see too that the momentum really helps in this game as well. Like by having things yeah. in place for a long period amount of time, it, it totally adds up to like one plus one equals three in the content world, which is kind of a, a thing yeah. that I'm realizing now.
0: Well, I'm an analogy person. I make a lot of analogies, but I like to to equate it to like television shows. They generally have a much bigger fan base on their third, fifth, 10th season than they did on their pilot episode, right? Like it takes time to build that reputation, to build a following, to build people who care, to build a relationship with the audience. So think of your content the same way. And I think that's another reason why it's important to note that like you may just be expecting results too soon you know because that's that's true sometimes you may have awesome quality it may reach the right people but you just started yesterday so like you shouldn't expect to be an influencer the day after you start your account like it's going to take some time you know and i think sometimes we get super excited and we we just think that you know well i'm i'm amazing surely i will go viral and i'll have all the followers by tomorrow afternoon but yeah sometimes it just it just takes time and consistency and, and keeping up with it
1: another great piece of advice i got early on was someone saying like just be like in the early days just befriend all your followers because yeah if you refuse to acknowledge them or like don't want to engage with people who are following you like then why are you doing it especially in the early days like this is why would they and why would they want to stick around if you're not engaged so yeah yeah
0: It's a great way of making
1: friends as an adult, I have to say. For sure. (laughs) Especially in the middle of a pandemic, but even outside of a pandemic, like getting to meet people like you and like you, you live in a totally different country than I do. So getting to be able to (laughs) chat and, and learn from each other is really amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's. uh Honestly, it is a really cool experience to be out in the world somewhere. And I, I'm really lucky when it's not COVID, I get to travel and, you know, go to conferences, speak on stage, you know, come on podcasts like this one. It is the coolest feeling when someone like comes up to me and they're like, oh, I've been following you for a few years. And I'm like, I feel like we know each other. Like, you know, yeah. you, you've you watched my transformation. You saw, like, you knew that I got a new job, right? Like, you can build this relationship with people before you ever meet in person. Mm-hmm. But that only happens if you're being honest and having conversations conversations and not just broadcasting to people. Um, You know, think about it. If you think of someone like, like Kim Kardashian, People don't walk up to her and say, I follow you because of course you do. And she doesn't know. And she's never acknowledged you, right? right. Because she's got a bazillion followers. So I right. think that community element, especially when you're starting out, is so key because they're not just a number and they don't want to feel like just a number. So that is, it just creates the, the best relationships with your audience. And those are the folks you want, people who can be your advocate, who can, you know, recommend that other people, you know, engage with you or recommend you to whatever your goals are to, you know, have your product in their local boutique or come and speak to their class, whatever it is, you know, it's that relationship that's going to make the difference.
1: Yeah. Content is kind of, is still maturing and, and, and I'm sure it's so different from when (laughs) you were involved in New York times and now you're strategizing and helping other companies to figure out what their, what their content and media strategy is. Are there any trends in content marketing that you're really interested in and keeping an eye on right now?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty. I think, you know, we hear a lot about like the rise of video, the rise of audio. Like I have been at this long enough to be one of those, like shaking my fist at the clouds kind of <laughs> people that says, when I started, we didn't even do video. Like that's, that is true. However, I think the bigger trends are are more philosophical. They're more about the approach. So I've really loved watching brands go from thinking about content as this like one-off experimental shiny new thing to something that can really be a key contributor to their brand, to their communications, to their marketing. That it's not this separate thing; it's it's something that can underpin so much of what you're doing, and form you know, help you create cohesion across all these different departments, these different parts of who you are as a brand, and to see it as a as a long-term strategy. This isn't a campaign. This is this is a lifestyle. You know, like this right. is a, a way to run your company. Um, that's been a great transformation to watch. And also, you know, selfishly as a creator, it's nice not to have to explain why your why your job matters or why they should create content. I love not having to fight that fight every day anymore. So that's that's been cool. The other thing I think is really awesome is as we continue to have new platforms, new technology, new tools at our disposal, brands are getting so creative and thinking outside the box. So I one thing I love is sometimes people will tag me in like a really... really out of left field, like brand content experience. So just as as an example, Barilla Pasta recently did uh, a playlist of songs that were the exact length it takes to make al dente pasta. So it's like, What, who could have thought of that? I, I would, I didn't recommend like, you know, making a podcast that corresponds to how long it takes your product to cook. That is so smart. Again, won't work for everybody, but it's a really cool out of the box idea. Like they're thinking differently. Uh, And that kind of thing is always exciting to me to see how someone takes this idea of, I want to connect with my audience by creating something and finds a totally new way or unexpected way to do that. So I see more, more creativity and more aiming to stand out in that way. and, And that's exciting to me too.
1: I love that. I love that idea. that That reminds me of another one I saw where it was a a wine company, and it was the same product. So it was it was the same. It was a Pinot Grigio. There are three different labels on the same product, saying Mm -hmm. what What kind of night are you having? Are you having dinner, like a a romantic dinner, girls' night, or like sitting back and relaxing? And there are three (laughs) different labels, same product but the emphasis was on this QR code in the corner that was for a Spotify playlist specific to that evening's activity i was like I that, that is amazing
0: yeah and I, I just think there's there's so many really cool ways that you can you can connect with your audience and i mean i've seen so many things that i never would have thought of somebody there was a, a magazine that did their whole issue printed on balloons so you had to blow up the balloons <laughs> to read the text printed on balloons i mean I love that stuff. Like it does it won't always work, right? Some of this yeah. stuff is a crazy experiment, but you know, you gotta try.
1: As we're kind of talking about this, some of the best content ideas people get is inspired by other content that exists, different genres and different opportunities that other people have taken. Last question for you, what was the last piece of content that you took inspiration from and then applied it to your own work?
0: Mm. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I read a lot. I I mean, I also listen to audiobooks, and I'm still not clear on whether that counts as reading, air quotes, but I consume a lot of books, I'll say. And there's one that I read recently that really changed the way I think about a lot of things. And that would be Invisible Women. And that book is about sort of unintentional data bias. So in this case, they're talking about data points that. We should have had separate data for men and women for whatever reason, and we didn't, and here's like a negative outcome. And it really changed the way I think about data and how the data points that I'm trying to share may be saying something that I don't mean them to, or there may be more to it than I realize. It sort of made me really think about data and the role it plays in in storytelling in in a different way. so yeah, that that's kind of just more of a more of a mindset shift maybe to to question data and dig deeper and think more about what it may be saying beyond the surface. That's that's definitely been a mindset shift.
1: That's awesome. And it's it's great to hear too that they it, you can get inspiration with serious topics, you can get serious, you can get inspiration from blowing up balloons. Like right. content is so flexible that really having a oh, being open to new ideas is a really great place to start as well.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 one of the things I say all the time that if you are feeling stuck, you're not feeling creative, you can't really create novel output if you have the same inputs all the time. And I know that's hard when we're all in lockdown, but you know, if you're only talking to the same people and only reading the same things and only listening to the same things... Where on earth do you expect new ideas to come from? Right. So I always try to encourage people, whatever makes sense to you, play new video games or eat at a new restaurant, whatever you can, wherever you can introduce novelty to just try and experience new things, you're you're creating the highest likelihood that two different, you know, that you're going to create these new synapses in your brain that couldn't have connected otherwise. So that's why for me, you know, yeah, take a balloon animal class. Who knew that would have inspired you <laughs> to like, you know, change your publishing approach or, <laughs> or yeah, maybe someone was listening to music on Spotify and had like a, a total brain blast that they needed to make a, you know, a, a playlist for, for pasta. So those, those experiences can inspire you when you least expect it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Melanie. This has been really great. Where should people fall? Come to read more of your stuff.
0: Yeah, so if you want to learn more uh, from me, you can head to storyfuel.co. So storyfuel.co. There you'll see more about what I'm up to, my bio. You can find all my social links if you want to uh, link up with me and also information about the book, The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. So storyfuel.co is the best place to go for me. And if you happen to be a B2B tech company and you're looking for support on the marketing side, feel free to reach out to us at foundationinc.co and we'll see if we can help you tell better stories.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Melanie. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stewarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.